Let me ask you to turn to Acts chapter 4. And while you're doing that, I'll just mention that uh, when we move over uh, for the month of July, the first two weeks, we are going to be uh, talking from God's Word about uh, Vision 2017. You've heard me mention that. You'll get copies of it. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, what it is and how it's based upon uh, the Word of God and where we are uh, headed as a, as a church. And uh, so I, I hope you will certainly plan to, to be there for those times. I'm really looking forward to having that opportunity to uh, uh, talk about uh, what we've been working on for many, many months and uh, uh, that, that we believe God has uh, led us to as the leadership of the church. In Acts chapter 4, we read this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in, in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000 on the next day. Their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the, in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now just to remind you what they're referring to, there was a healing that uh, had taken place and they had heard about it. Many of them no doubt had witnessed that and they're saying, by, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, <clears throat> for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us in these next few moments to discern what you have to teach us? While you preserve this historic passage, this encounter, this inquisition, this bold statement of who Jesus is, we ask that you would 
Open our hearts to hear you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On uh, Monday, we went down to Statesboro to a ceremony to see one of my nephews uh, get his Eagle Scout Award. We were very proud of him, and we wanted to be there for that. It was a very quick trip, but, uh, but it was fun. Now, uh, this, this nephew is the oldest in his family. He's got two younger brothers that are twins. And uh, whether they are or not, so far as I'm concerned, they are identical twins, uh, these two boys who will probably be getting their Eagle Award in the next uh, few years. And one of the, the blessings to me was that uh, uh, within the last few years, one of those twins has begun to wear glasses. And that's good because if he ever goes to contacts, I'll probably go back to just calling them both buddy and hey, hey buddy, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Now, if you saw these twins, and I've never seen them do this, they get along great, but if you saw them uh, a little ways away and they were wrestling with each other, you would take a second look and, and you would think, well, that's, those are the same guy. I mean, they're the same size. They, they look like same hair color. Everything looks the same. And then if you, suppose you then got closer and you saw, okay, one, one of them's got glasses. I guess they are. It's two different people here. And then really, if you got to know them, you would say these are absolutely two different people, but from the outward appearances, they look very, very much alike. Today, in this passage, we are going to, in essence, see a wrestling match. And if you were looking from a distance, it would look like the ones that are wrestling and I'm calling them Christianity and religion, if you looked from a distance, you would say, well, I think they're just the same. They look the same from here. I don't really see a difference. But then as you got closer, you would say, oh, wait a minute. There's one with glasses. It's different. And then as you really got to know them, you would say, no, no, wait a minute. These are absolutely two different things. To some who look on from the world that we walk around in, they might say, no, they're just the same. But to really know them shows that they are absolutely different. And that's what we see come out in this passage, I want to I draw the contrast. We're going to do it very quickly um, in terms of religion versus Christianity. Now, Jack, there was a guy, a, a pastor named Jack Miller, 
And uh, when he would talk about the, the Pharisees versus true Christians, he used to say this, you are either a Pharisee or a recovering Pharisee. And I think that's probably a pretty good phrase. And that's why this understanding this wrestling match is important. Because some of you have gone completely into the religion end of things and never quite gotten into Christianity. But even you, who are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, you are going to be tugged. You are going to be wrestled with to go back into the religion part, which is thinking that you can do something to earn your way to God. Now let's take a look at this, first of all, at at religion's way. Religion, we see in this passage, is absolutely upset by Christianity. Uh, Verse 2, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed... I think that's an understatement uh, by their reaction. And you can often tell how much people fear something by how they react to it. But this says, greatly annoyed. Why were they annoyed? Uh, Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, you have the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees the way you can remember the difference here, I've probably told you this before, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. Now that's how you remember it. Okay? It's worked for me, so maybe it'll, it'll work for you. But that's why they were greatly annoyed, because that was at the core of what they were uh, preaching about. And so the Sadducees are saying, well, you know, this is annoying. I think they were, you know, much firmer than that. They were disturbed. (coughs) Some of your versions may have translated it that way. When Christianity comes up against religion and the religious, the religious will become disturbed and annoyed. Now, in this case their confrontation exposed religion for what it is. But you need to know this. Religion and Christianity cannot coexist. If you're trying to have both of them, trying to keep one foot in each world, you're going to be in constant frustration. It will be a constant wrestling match. As we look on, look at the reaction it it caused. Verse 3 and verse 5. And that is that religion will often, you see in the outline there, exercise intimidation when threatened by Christianity. Um, In a couple of chapters, we're going to see what takes place with Stephen when he dares to confront religion. He loses his life. That's why I say to say they were annoyed is uh, an, an understatement. Think about the reformer, uh, Martin Luther. That's what he faced. 
That was, that was his big wrestling match as he uh, asked questions of the church, the church that was saying, there are certain things you need to do in order to get favor with God. Things that you can actually purchase from us that will give you favor with God. And Luther, who had come to Christ and began to understand justification that it is free, it's based on what Christ did, not based upon what I do, had to ask the questions. And he faced threats, a trial, inquisition, persecution, very similar to what Peter and John faced. Now look at verse 3. They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And then verse 5, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. Now, you've got a, a Jewish Supreme Court of 70 men, the Sanhedrin, and they quickly gathered together. Uh, a little heavy for a couple of ragtag street preachers, if you ask me. And that's why you can see how threatened they were by the message that they were bringing and how radically different that was from the religion and the bondage that they were placing upon the people. Because if this is true, it would free the people from that religion. And so they resorted to intimidation. They fell back on tradition. Look at verse 6. With Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Now, all these men had their roots in traditional uh, Judaism that had grown cold toward God. It had been, become uh, not, not the warm uh, relational uh, religion that it was in terms of a real relationship with God, but it had grown into uh, a man-heavy uh, religion. These men were faithful to that, though. But their tradition had overcome it. Now, look, tradition in and of itself is not wrong or bad. It's when tradition overtakes the Word of God becomes higher than the Word of God, more important, carrying more weight. That's when tradition is wrong. And that's when you lose the joy of being a child of God. Now they resorted to interrogation and inquisition. Look at verse 7. Uh, when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Now, normally that's enough to silence people. Uh, remember Martin Luther? I mentioned him uh, a minute ago as, as a reformer. Uh, if you know his story at all, one of the things that uh, you, you remember about Martin Luther is that, that great stand that he took when he was being inquired of. What they did was they took a table 
and they put all of his writings and his books and his pamphlets out on this table. And they said, are these your writings? And he went and he, he looked at them, you know, examined them and, and, and so on. And uh, he said, yes, I, I believe they are. Will you recant? Will you deny what's in there? Now, if you see the movie or whatever, usually at that point you hear this great speech by Martin Luther where he says, here I stand upon the Word of God. I can do no other. But here's what really happened historically. They said, are these your writings? And he, he looked at them very closely to make sure they were. And then he, uh, they said, well, uh, do you stand by these? Will you recant from these? And he said, let me think about it for a day. Even Martin Luther, even Martin Luther faced the threat of religion and how intimidating would that be? Well, he did come back a day later and make that or a similar speech about here I stand and unless I'm convinced by the Word of God, I can do no other. But that's what religion will do. It will confront and it will try to stamp out uh, real Christianity. Now, look at Christianity's character, because that's really what's important. Uh, but we, we need to recognize religion, you know, and, and, uh, in case you're wrestling with some of that. But we really need to understand the character of Christianity. Look at the contrast. Verse 8. This is how different this is from religion. Filled by the Spirit. Uh, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. That is a characteristic unique to Christianity. They made this bold speech, but it was not in their own power. It wasn't them rising up by their bootstraps. And in their, in their great strength and courage, no, it was because... God's Spirit went within them. And these words came out that were the message from God and that's where the power was. That's what characterizes Christianity as opposed to religion. One is tradition-powered. The other is Spirit-powered. And then we see that it's also Christ-centered. Verse 9 through 11. I, I read that to you earlier. He keeps going back to uh, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. You see, he's tying uh, this Jesus to these historical events that had just taken place. He said, you want to know in whose name? This is in whose name. We are not some upstart cult we are uh, following the one who has been predicted all through, all through the days of Judaism and in the history of Israel. And that's the primary contrast between religion and Christianity. Religion is man-centered. What man can do particularly for himself. Christianity is about Christ. Christ. 
not what He can do, but specifically what He has done. It's not just about what He can do for you, though that is part of it, but it's what He has done. Whereas religion is is wrapped up in what do I need to do today to get in God's favor? Christianity says, thanks be to God, Christ did it all so that I am now free to be in relationship with God. And then we see Christianity has an uncompromising message. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, we would go into this in in a lot more depth, but uh, uh, about a month and a half ago, uh, I had a whole message about this when I was going through the I Am statements of Jesus when he, he said, I am the way. And so I would encourage you, if this is a question in your mind about uh, this exclusive claim, to go back and listen to uh, that particular message. I usually don't promote my own sermons, but uh, we spent a great deal of time on that, and so I would encourage you uh, to do that. For the purposes today, I, I want you to see how this kind of a message Uh, that is so clear-cut, contrasts with religion. Because religion tends to be popularized. In other words, it tends to make a message that people are going to go, okay, I can live with that. In fact, I can live with that because I I can go do my church thing, and then the rest of the week it doesn't really affect me. And so I got the best of both worlds. That's religion. This kind of a claim does not make one popular. When you say, I am the only way. When you say to your friends, there's only one way to get to heaven. It will make you unpopular. People won't like that. And that's a contrast between religion and Christianity, and some of you may say, well, it's making religion sound better all the time, he is. And yet it's the truth. And look, don't, don't be afraid if somebody says, well, how arrogant are you? How arrogant are you to, to say that he's the only way? And if you say it enough, somebody will say that to you. Well, it's not arrogant. What would be arrogant would be if Jesus said that, and I call myself a follower of Jesus, what would be arrogant would be for me to say, yeah, well, he might have said that, but I'm not going to say it because that won't make me popular. See, that's the height of arrogance. Or to say, I don't really believe that part of what Jesus said. You see, if you're a follower of Christ, and if Jesus did make this claim, which He did, that He is the only way, then it's not arrogant to say, I happen to believe what He said. 
And it would be wrong for me to say otherwise because it would put me above him. Another aspect of Christianity's character is is the, the fact that it transforms lives. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated. See, here comes the big mystery. You're going, wait a minute. These guys are way bold. They're standing in front of the Supreme Court. They were uneducated, common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know why they recognized that? Because the Spirit of Christ was within them and was bursting out of them. That's what was going on. Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. One of the greatest apologetics or proofs for the truth of Christianity is the changed lives and the followers of Christ. You know, recently, Chuck Colson went to be with the Lord. Now, some of you are too young to remember what Chuck Colson was famous for first. He was with Richard Nixon in his White House, and he was called the White House Hatchet Man. And when all of the things came out about what went on and so on, Colson ended up going to prison. It was through that experience that Chuck Colson came to Christ. Now, a lot of people doubted that. I can't even remember my response, but I might have been one of those wondering, well, we'll just wait and see if this is for real. And you know what? That's not all bad. That's okay. We can say. Let's wait and see. That's what perseverance of the saints is, isn't it? It's what preservation of the saints is. If it's for real, it'll last. You know what they said about Chuck Colson? He was in prison for a little while, then he was released, then he started a prison fellowship and had a ministry to them, and this is over decades before he died. Some people said Chuck Colson never left prison. You know, he could have made a lot of money in other ways. But over that period of time, we, we saw a transformed life. I had the privilege of meeting him once. And this was many years after, you know, all of that had taken place. And I was, uh, because some people were supporters of his in, in my church, I was at a kind of a small reception. And I got to go in and meet him. And uh, he came over and they introduced me. They said, this, this is our, our pastor. He was a tall man. And, and he, he said... To me, I'm so honored to meet you, Pastor. I mean, I was just, I was speechless. <laughs> I didn't know what to say to him because of what a godly man he was. You know, there, there's not a good explanation for that apart from the power of Christ to change. And you know why that's so powerful? Because people down deep know this. If somebody really changes, it's got to be something outside of themselves. Because we know this. 
I know this about me. I don't try to change other people because I can't even change myself. And so when I see people change, I know it's the power of God working in them. Verse 4, many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to uh, about 5,000. You know, there's only one explanation for this kind of growth. That's not the kind of growth you see in churches where day after day, churches grow by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. There's only one explanation, and that is God made them grow. God grew that church. It wasn't because of their great leadership. It wasn't because of their great vision. Now look, I'm all for uh, having a good leadership and a right vision. That's why we have Vision 2017. But we can't trust in that. We must not. I'm all for training in how to witness for Christ. And I am praying for growth here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian. But I am praying for growth that will take place where there's no explanation but Christ. Where we can't say, you know, once we got that vision statement in place, then we began to grow. Because the temptation would be for us to be prideful or to say, I need to go out and do a seminar so other churches can grow too. We must never do that. Let's ask God to do something among us that can only be explained in one way, and that is God saw fit to do a work among the people at St. Andrew's Presbyterian. That's what I am praying to see here. Then He'll get all the glory. Now here's the bottom line. Two questions. Do you have religion or Christianity? Now some of you might say, well, I don't have either. You know, I don't consider myself... uh, uh, religious, uh, but I, I'm, I don't consider myself a Christian. Well, you do have one or the other, and if you don't consider yourself a Christian, if you're not a believer, then you do have religion. It may not be a godly religion, but it's whatever you've put together in your mind of how to cope with this world that we live in. And so if it's not Christianity, Just put your own name there. If your name's John or Mary, just say, I believe in Johnism or Maryism. That's that's my religion. And understand that you've made that choice, and that is your choice. But then the next question is how's that working for you? And here's where the test will come. The test will come when a trial comes. I've seen again and again the difference between individuals and families who are trusting in Christ and those who are not. And I've seen them face parallel circumstances. And I've seen again and again God sustain families through the worst of things that we can imagine who are trusting in Christ. And again and again, I've seen people with no coping mechanism whatsoever when they have their own 
religion. It cannot bring you peace. It cannot deal with your guilt. It will not get you through your trials. You will only get through so far as your strength will carry you. And most come up way short. Those with Christ have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. And it doesn't mean there aren't hard and difficult and trying times. There are. But the difference is having Christ in us. Let's bow together. And I want you to listen to Jesus' glorious invitation to those who were under the burden of religion. Jesus says, said, Come to me, all, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, will you draw, even in these moments, some to you who are under the yoke of their own religion, the yoke of trying to please you in some way and draw them to Christ and the freedom and the joy and the strength and the grace that you offer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.